I hope you have a Bible with you today, whether that's uh, paper, electronic, however you're carrying it these days. Turn to Philippians, New Testament book of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be continuing this series out of this uh, wonderful uh, book about living joyfully. As you're finding that, let me give you four scenarios, four scenarios for you to think about and weigh. Scenario number one, you have just discovered that you got a totally unexpected windfall of one million dollars. One million dollars, right? Scenario number two. A tree has fallen on your house. Nobody was hurt, but the damage to your house is extensive. Scenario number three. Unexpected layoffs at your work. The job that you thought was going to be secure is no more. Scenario number four, you've been anxiously awaiting the results of some medical tests, and the tests come back all clear, no evidence of disease. Here's the question, which of those four scenarios has the most potential for joy? It's a trick question, okay, it is. Because the correct answer is every one of them. Every one of them. And you may be saying, well, dude, what have you smoked, right? Give me the million dollars, right? Give me the million dollars. I understand. I understand. Yeah, I'd kind of start to leap there myself. But it is an important distinction that we want to keep making throughout the, this series as we think about living joyfully. And that is that when we talk about joy, joy is not a set of happy circumstances. It's not a set of happy circumstances. I would vote for happy circumstances every single day. I mean, that would always be my default choice, right? But joy is not dependent upon happy circumstances. The potential for joy is in every circumstance of our lives. In fact, is joy is God working, even in the midst of imperfect and difficult circumstances, to bring about his will into our lives. Joy begins to be my experience, not because of what's going on outside of me, but because where I am focused. Joy is discovered through my focus. What I choose to focus on determines to a large extent my capacity and experience of joy regardless of the circumstances that are around me. Absolutely, some things are easier, some things are more pleasant, some things make us happier. But joy is something that we can potentially experience regardless of what's going on around us because we can choose our focus. Paul is writing to the Philippians, and as we introduced last week, kind of a major theme of this letter is joy, which makes it so extraordinary when you realize he's writing from a prison. And he's writing from this prison, and it just permeates this letter with this theme of joy. And in, in this teaching, in these verses, verse 12 through 30, we're going to look at out of chapter 1, Paul teaches us something. He models something for us. He models for us four focuses, four focuses that I can choose, you can choose, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in today, that we can choose in the midst of our circumstances. And choosing these focuses 
experiences helps us to choose joy, helps us to choose joy. So I want to just kind of walk through this section of this letter and allow Paul's example to speak to us about these focuses. The first focus that he talks about is looking beyond, looking beyond the circumstances to see God's result. Look beyond the circumstances to see God's result. Look with me, if you would, in verse 12 there of chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Some of your translations will say praetorium there. And to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He he is modeling for us this focus, this choice to look beyond my circumstances to see God's result, to experience joy even in the midst of difficulties. And he's not the only one that does this. You see this again and again throughout Scripture, the New Testament in particular. James puts it this way, count it all joy, my brothers, all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. To the Romans, Paul put it this way, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. What is James saying? What is Paul saying here? He's saying, look beyond. Look beyond the immediacy of your circumstances to see God's result. How can you count it joy when you meet trials? Because God is working to produce steadfastness. How can you rejoice in your sufferings? Because you know that in the midst of suffering, God is producing endurance. He is producing character and hope. God has a result that he's unfolding in the midst of those circumstances. But to experience the joy, I've got to look beyond. I've got to look beyond the immediacy of the circumstance. And that, that's exactly what Paul was doing here. See, one of, one of the lessons that we have to come to grips with in life is Jesus didn't come into the world primarily to make my life pleasant, but to give my life purpose. Now, that, that's a struggle sometimes for us, particularly, I think, in our culture. Because in our culture, we have so much, don't we? We have so much, and we, we want what we want. We want it fast. We want it smooth. We want it to be an app on our phone or whatever it might be. We like things. We like comfort, right? I, I mean, you, you ought to hear if the temperature gets just a couple degrees warm in a room like this, the, the feedback that you get, right? And it's like, you know, I mean, really? It's 100 outside. Come on, right? I mean, but we, we, we like our comfort. We like things pleasant. And sometimes we can shift into the the thought that God exists to make my life pleasant. But he actually wants your life to have purpose. And sometimes to achieve the purpose means that your life is not pleasant. God isn't in the business just of making my life pleasant, but he wants you and I to live with purpose 
purpose, to live with purpose. And so Paul finds himself imprisoned. He finds himself in chains. And that's the circumstance. But he looks beyond the circumstance to see God's result. And particularly in these verses, he saw two results of his chains. The first was evangelism. Evangelism toward the imperial guard, this praetorium, this elite group. And Paul is looking at this and he's saying, I didn't want to be here. I didn't choose to be here. But God has made a result. He has made it possible for me to share the gospel with people that normally I would not have a chance of getting close to. And so he's seeing God bring about this result in the midst of his circumstances. There's evangelism toward the imperial guard, but there's encouragement toward other believers. There's encouragement. So other believers are are hearing and seeing what Paul is doing, and it's giving them an increased boldness. It's encouraging them to, to share the word, to speak the word without fear. But I want you to take note of something. This was not Paul's plan. This was not Paul's plan. It wasn't his plan at all, right? I mean, his plan, and you read in Scripture, his plan was to be in Rome, but kind of on his way to Spain. He was going to go through Rome, be a little encouragement, get encouragement, make his way further to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did not plan to be in Rome as a prisoner. It was not his plan. And some of you today are in the middle of circumstances that are not your plan. In fact, is you feel chained. You feel chained to a job. And you got to keep showing up because you got bills to pay and you got a family to support. But you, it's frustrating. It feels dead. It feels onerous as they keep changing and heaping on more work and more regulations. Sometimes you just want to be set free. Some of you feel chained in a relationship. You just kind of find your mind starting to drift if, if I wasn't chained to this person. Maybe it's a, a partnership in business. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a marriage. And part of you just kind of thinks if I wasn't chained, if I wasn't chained to this person, my life would be different. It would be better. I'd be free. Some of you are, are chained physically, that there's, there, there's something that's coming to your life. It's, it's, not, it's not what you wanted. Uh, for, for some of you, it's just, it's just A-G-E, right? The age is kind of like, whoa, my body used to be able to do this. It doesn't, it, where did this come from? For some of you, it's that unwanted diagnosis. It's, it, it's, it's doctors you couldn't even pronounce their specialty and pills and drugs you've never heard of and all of these things, and you feel you feel chained there are things that you can't do physically anymore and you feel imprisoned and you feel chained how do you experience joy when you feel chained you look beyond you look beyond the chains you look beyond the circumstances to see God's result God, what are you doing in the midst of this? God, help me to have eyes to see. Help me to recognize what you are doing uniquely through these situations. It's not my plan, 
But God, it is yours. Help me to see not just my circumstances, but to see your results. He models for us the focus of looking beyond your circumstances to see God's result. Secondly, he models for us look beyond the personalities to see the priorities. Look beyond the personalities to see the priorities. Now, notice his, his words here in these next couple of verses. Some indeed... As he's just talked about those who have been encouraged and emboldened to to share Christ. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Have you noticed that uh, when, when life is tough... There's always somebody that shows up to make it worse. <laughs> I don't know, you know. So sometimes there, there seems like there's some of those people sometimes that they, they have the gift of saying the wrong word at the wrong time, right? They, they have the gift of, 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 of bringing a perspective to bear that just, just makes the challenge you're facing even worse. Maybe even bringing accusations against you. There's always people like that. Paul experienced it. He's in prison. He's in chain. And there's people who are operating in such a way that they hope to increase his affliction, to make his journey even more difficult. But what does Paul do? He looks beyond. He looks beyond the personalities to the priorities. Listen, there's always going to be those who operate out of hurt who operate out of hurt and sin rather than love and faith. And I don't know all the reasons, and we're all capable of it, but maybe maybe they don't even sometimes know what they're doing, but maybe they're operating out of their own woundedness, their own hurt, their own uh, gaps and holes in their life, and and they just hurt other people. Maybe they're operating out of envy or jealousy or pride or whatever else it might be. There are always, always, always going to be people who operate out of hurt and sin more than they're operating out of love and faith. But you have to look beyond. You have to look beyond those people, those personalities, to see God's priorities. And so Paul here models for us two helpful responses. What do you do when there is that person, that personality who seems to be making things worse, who's operating out of hurt and sin more than it seems they're operating out of love and faith? What do you do? Two helpful responses Paul models for us here. The first is remember the encouragers. Remember the encouragers. Are there those doing it out of envy and rivalry? Yep. Are there those who are doing it out of selfish ambition, thinking to afflict him in his imprisonment? Absolutely. But he said, but there are others. There are others from goodwill. There are those who are operating out of love, knowing that he's there for the defense of the gospel. Sometimes what happens to us, we have this personality, we have this, this, this person operating out of hurt, operating out of sin, and, and, and they hurt us, they wound us, they inflict us, they, they irritate us, whatever it might be. 
and, and our, often we start to focus just on them. Paul says, I'm, I, I know they're there. I recognize the reality of that person and that personality, but I'm also going to remember the others. I'm going to remember the encouragers. I'm going to remember those who are operating out of love. I'm going to remember those who are operating out of sincerity. I'm going to remember those who are encouraging to me along the way. He remembered the encouragers, but he also remembered what's really important. What's really important. So he says, I rejoice whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed. How is he able to look beyond the personality to see the priorities? Because he remembered the encouragers. But he also remembered what was really important. What was really important was not whether people thought highly of him or whether his approval ratings were up. What mattered was the gospel. The gospel was being proclaimed. You see, when it comes to personalities, we're all going to struggle at times. But the most important thing in life is not pleasing people, but pleasing the one who gave his life for us. And listen, I, given all things being equal, I, I would want to please people. I do. I have people-pleasing tendencies, like many, many, many of you. But the most important thing is not pleasing people because you cannot please all the people all the time and there are some people you can't please any of the time, right? But to please the one, the one who gave his life for you. Paul wasn't going to let somebody operating out of hurt and sin steal his joy. But too often we can do that. We can let some personality operating out of hurt and sin steal our joy. He wasn't going to let that happen. He was going to focus on pleasing the one who had given his life for him. He was going to remember the encouragers, and he was going to remember that was really important. He was going to look beyond the personalities to see the priorities. He looked beyond the circumstances to see God's result. But a third focus that he models for us here is look beyond the temporary to see the eternal. Look beyond the temporary to see the eternal. Let's pick it up there in verse, at the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all not be not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You know, sometimes it's just the little things that steal our joy, isn't it? It's the little things. That thing last week, you remember, you were so irritated about it, right? 
something didn't happen or somebody didn't do something and, and man, you were just in a and you turned, they said something or somebody put this thing in an email and you're, and you're just, your stomach was not at And all this, you, you tried to go home and have dinner with your family and you couldn't even really concentrate on them because you were just... Three weeks from now, you're probably not even going to remember what it was, right? How often do we let the little things steal our joy? How often do we let, let temporary things steal our joy? And Paul has this wonderful perspective that brings joy. He doesn't just focus on the temporary, but he looks beyond the temporary to see the eternal. And it's not just in this letter that he wrote about that. Another example is as he wrote to the Corinthians, for this light momentary affliction, when I think of what Paul went through, the beatings, the imprisonments, the shipwrecks, I'm thinking, really, Paul, light momentary affliction compared to eternity? Yeah. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's a key verse here in this we just read, verse 21. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is is gain. This is a man who has, a, has a, an eternal perspective that enables him to look beyond the temporary. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's looking at this. He said, I'm hard pressed to know what really what I want to do if I had my druthers, as we would say, right? Because it's a win-win either way. To, 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 to die is to, to be in his presence, To stay is to continue to have fruitful labor and fulfill his purposes and advance his kingdom. It is a win-win. I don't lose either way. That's pretty amazing to write when you're in prison. But he had an eternal perspective. Paul had a passionate love for Christ, a passionate love for Christ. He had this, this love for, for me to live is Christ. He was so overwhelmed by the love of God for him through Jesus Christ. He was so overwhelmed by the, the grace of God. He would write to the Corinthians and say, the love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ controls me. He had this passionate love for Jesus Christ. But he also here in this, these passages tells us, he has an unselfish love for others an unselfish love for others the selfish love would have said take me home Jesus (laughs) take me home I'm tired of the beatings. I'm tired of the imprisonments. I'm tired of, of, of the people criticizing and, and, and accusing and all of these things I'm tired of the nonsense. Take me home but to remain to remain is better for you To remain means I can continue to make a difference, bring encouragement. For me to remain, he he used the word for your account, on your uh, account. It was an unselfish love for others, born out of his passionate love for Christ. When you have a passionate love for Christ and an unselfish love for others, you can look beyond the temporary and find more and more focus on the eternal. There are two key questions that we have to be able to answer yes to 
if we're going to experience sustained joy in our life. The first one is this. Can I face life with purpose? Can I face life with purpose? You can, you can walk through a, a lot of challenges. You can overcome a lot of obstacles. You, you can get through uh, the, those things that are unfair and unjust when you have a life of purpose. But if your life is merely about pleasure, if it's merely about focus, uh, comfort, excuse me, then you are not going to experience joy that transcends your circumstances. Can I face life with purpose? How about you? Do you have a purpose that's bigger than you? Do you have a purpose that's bigger than just you tiptoeing pleasurably and comfortably to the grave? Can I face life with purpose and can I face death with confidence? Can I face death with confidence? For me, to live is Christ's purpose. To die is gain. Because he has that, that confidence that, that, that to, be, to be going through death's doors is, is, is to depart and to be with Christ that is far better. It is far better. And so Paul, Paul models for us, I, I can face life with purpose and I can face death with confidence. There's a cemetery in Indiana more than 100 years old, and it has uh, uh, an interesting epitaph on it. Here are the, here's the epitaph. Paul's stranger, when you pass me by, this is the graveyard. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. <laughs> Whoa. Pretty heavy. Somewhere in that hundred-year history, somebody scrawled a, a response on that tombstone. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Listen, you want to have sustained joy? You got to have something, actually someone in your life that can enable you to face life with purpose and to face death with confidence. And so I, I'm just, I'm just going to challenge you today. You, just, you, you saw that video just a little bit ago. You saw Luke in the waters of baptism a little before that. Listen, we want you to know a life of purpose. We want you to be able to, to face the inevitability of death with confidence and that only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It only comes when we come to the recognition of our, of our sin and rebellion and separation from God and God's intervention in Jesus Christ and, and his grace and his mercy and his love poured out on us as Christ lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserved to die so that he could offer to us forgiveness of our sin. He could offer to us life abundant and with purpose and he could offer to us a security that transcends the grave. And it only comes as we respond to that offer in Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. And so here's my word to you today. If you're here this morning 
and you're not sure, you're not sure that you're facing life with purpose and that you can face death with confidence, then before you leave this room, I'm going to urge you, I'm begging you, we, we have prayed for you, you will make your way to the connect room in the back of our worship space. And there will be some folks there at the close of our service that would be their highest honor and privilege to sit and talk with you, to share with you how you can know Jesus Christ, how you can know a purpose that transcends your circumstances, how you can face death. Face death with confidence because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray today would be that day of your salvation. We're praying for you in that right now. Paul was able to face it all because he looked beyond the temporary and saw the eternal. But he also had a fourth focus, and that is to look beyond the challenges to see the opportunities. Look beyond the challenges to see the opportunities. Look at verse 27 with me. Only Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. He talks about about living, living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, the good news, the gospel is not just a message. It's more than a message. It's a lifestyle. It's the way that I I live my life. And that lifestyle becomes your message. Maybe you've heard this old poem from many years ago. You're writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? Every one of us is proclaiming the gospel intentionally or unintentionally. We're proclaiming it not just with our lips, but with our lives. We are called to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. In every challenge to see that opportunity. Every challenge that I face can become an opportunity. An opportunity to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. To live in a manner that points other people to Jesus Christ. And so he, he begins to talk to us about that. And please understand, we talk about this as a lifestyle. This is not legalistically obeying kind of this list of moral laws. And there are moral laws for sure. But when we talk about living in a manner worthy of the gospel, the gospel is a lifestyle. It is displaying the spirit and love of Jesus Christ in every circumstance and every relationship. So so that we walk in such a way, we live in such a way that that the the opportunity is, is to display the spirit and love of Jesus Christ in every challenge along the way. And then he uses four expressions that I I think kind of give us four lifestyle choices. Four lifestyle choices, four choices we can make that give us opportunity in the midst of the challenges of life. 
He uses the expression standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm in one spirit. And what this opportunity is, is to say, I will continue to trust. I will continue to trust. When when things are breaking against me, when circumstances aren't going well, when when I'm being questioned along whatever it is along the way, I will continue to trust. By God's enabling spirit, I will continue to stand firm. And by the way, as he's talking about these, it's not just an individual assignment, but it's a corporate assignment. It's an assignment to take on in community. Standing firm in one spirit in the midst of challenges, I'm going to continue to trust. He talks about not frightened in anything by your opponents. Not frightened in anything by, wait a minute, let's back up while we skip one. Standing firm in one spirit says, I will continue to trust. I don't know where that one went on the slide, but striving side by side for the faith. I will not concede to criticism. I will not concede to criticism. There, there are always going to be those that will, will, will bring contention along the way. But he says, I, I'm, I'm not going to cave in to criticism. There's an opportunity to, to strive for the faith, even in the face of criticism. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. Says, I will not be controlled by fear. The opportunity in the midst of opposition is to say, I will not be controlled by fear, but I will be controlled by God's love and God's spirit within me. I will not concede to criticism. I will continue to trust. I will not be controlled by fear. The only fear that is to control us is a reverent fear of a holy God, and we'll touch on that into chapter 2. And then he uses the expression, suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake. And this says, I will not be confused by suffering. I will not be confused by suffering. Suffering can disorient us. Suffering can confuse us. But I come, and, and whether, whether that suffering just comes as a result of living in a sin-scarred world, or suffering that God's using to discipline or correct, or suffering that God's using to, 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 to soften me and open me up, whatever it is, whatever that form of suffering, I will not be confused by that suffering. And these are choices I make to continue to trust, to not be controlled by fear, to not uh, be, be concede to criticism, and to not be confused by suffering. These four lifestyle choices help me to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul says believers have two privileges here. The first one we get, we have the privilege of believing. We have the privilege to believe on him. You've been graced so you should not only believe in him. If I have any inclination to believe in Christ, it is because of his work toward me. It is the privilege that he has given me to believe on him. And we wish he had stopped there. But he says not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. To suffer for him. It's a privilege. Why? Because of what God does out of that suffering. What God does out of that suffering. And as we think about what God does, we've got to go back and think about the cross. You see, the the cross of Jesus Christ is the perfect example of these truths we've just been talking about. The The cross of Jesus Christ is a classic pivotal example of looking beyond 
The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Looking to Jesus, as you're running your unique race in life, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about this with me for just a moment more. As he faced the cross, Jesus is looking beyond the circumstances to see God's result. The circumstances of the arrest and the beatings and the taunting, the circumstances of the cross, there was nothing pleasant about that. There was nothing joyous about that suffering. But he looked beyond the circumstances to see the results, to see what God was going to do, the victory that was going to be won through the cross. So for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He he looked beyond the personalities to see and to keep focused on the priorities. So as he's hanging on that cross, he doesn't spit down vindictive comments, but he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looks beyond the personalities to the priorities. And he looks beyond the temporary to see the eternal. He he looks beyond the the, the cross, the, the, the death, the burial, that, that's temporary because there's a, there's a, there's a, a resurrection. There's an, a, an ascension. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He looks beyond the, the temporary to see the eternal. He looked beyond the temporary of the suffering of the cross to see a new heaven and a new earth and his kingdom rightly established where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He looked beyond the temporary to see the eternal. And at the cross, he looked beyond the challenges to see the opportunity. So as he's agonizing in the garden of Gethsemane, as he's agonizing, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass before me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He saw beyond the suffering of Gethsemane, beyond the suffering of Calvary, beyond all the challenges of facing that, he saw the opportunity, the opportunity for salvation, for rescue, for restoration of a kingdom. The cross of Jesus Christ models all of these looking beyond, who for the joy that was set before him. Let me give you one last picture. There's a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money spent this week around the solar eclipse, right? Right? Did you have fun? I had the glasses. Did y'all have the glasses? How cool were those, right? Yeah, we all checked it out. Some of you were down Columbia Way, other places, right? Great. And thinking about this message and being a part of that, I thought about that picture. Because what happened in the eclipse? For a couple minutes, almost three in some places, it seemed like the sun was gone. I mean, it was being blocked out. And 
lights started coming on and insects started coming alive and it's just kind of weird it's like in the middle of the afternoon it seemed like the sun was blocked couldn't see it but it was only temporary now I want to ask you for a moment did the sun change at all during that time It was still where it had always been. It was still shining as brightly as it ever did. It was still giving out the heat it's always given out, right? The earth was still in its orbit. It's just for a couple of minutes, we couldn't see it as well. Our our view was hindered. Our view was partially or even for a moment totally blocked. And that's where some of you are today. Because you've got some circumstances in your life and it seems that it's blocking the sun, not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. And you can't see. And it feels strange and kind of weird things going on. But can I remind you, the S-O-N sun hasn't moved He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yes, for a moment or two, your your vision of that may be blocked. For a moment or two, it's it's not clear. For a moment or two, it seems seems dark and you're, you're not sure what's going on. But he is still where he has always been on his throne. He is still in charge. He is still working on his agenda and his kingdom. He is still aware of what's going on in your life. He still knows what he is doing in and through your life. And so when those things get between you and the sun, you have to look beyond. You have to look beyond the circumstances to see God's result. You have to, 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 to look beyond the personalities to see the priorities. You have to look beyond the temporary to see the eternal. You have to, 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 to look beyond the immediacy of your, of your circumstances and your, your challenges to see the opportunities. And what you see when you look beyond is that the sun is still there. He's still at work, and he can still be trusted. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray today? Oh, Father, how we just praise you and thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And while our circumstances change, you never do. And, Father, that you are still faithful and true. And so, Father, I just, I pray right now, Lord, uh, that you know, you know every story in here. You know what's behind the Sunday smiles. You know what's behind the fine, how are you? You know what's darkening our vision right now. But you also know how to lead us to joy. And so, Father, I pray right now, I pray, I pray for some in this room that they have to begin by establishing that base, that whole basis of joy, a relationship with you. And Lord, let today be the day in your grace and mercy that you draw them to yourselves, you draw them to a, a saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. Father, that they can live a life of purpose, they can face death with confidence. 
Lord, I pray for some of your followers who are, who are going through it right now, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would, you, you would help them to look beyond, to look beyond to see what you're doing, to look beyond and focus on your priorities for their life, to, to, to look beyond and, and, and see that, that, that you're not finished with them yet, to, to look beyond and to see the sun is still shining and the sun is still at work. Father, enable us to look beyond. And I'm just going to ask you just to just continue to sit for just a few moments more in the presence of God.